you love this podcast, help us spread these stories to more women by following us on Instagram at Simply Amazing Podcast and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes and the Instagram bio. So it would mean the world to us to help share this message. Thanks. To say that I have this perfect family with perfect kids and I I do this philanthropy without talking about the struggles is not real. And I want to be as authentic and transparent as possible. And that's part of how I got to where I'm at. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to She's Simply Amazing, a podcast all about sharing the stories of women that can inspire us to live a huge, beautiful, and amazing life. I'm your host, Carrie Brinton. Welcome, everybody. I'm really excited for you to meet our guest today. Her name is Angie Franson. Angie and I have been friends for a little while now. We have kids that are the same age. You know what? We've been talking here before this interview, and I have learned so much about her, and I have to say I respect her immensely for the story that she's been telling me, and I'm I'm actually really excited for you to hear that story. I think her story, I think it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. So Angie is a mother of three. She's a wife, and she's also the founder of a nonprofit organization called the Opus Foundation. And then more recently, she's been working as a doula. Am I saying that right? A doula, a midwife doula, and volunteering teaching English as a second language to some local local refugee families. So she's doing some really amazing things in our community. Angie's hobbies include CrossFit, and I will vouch for the fact that the lady is super fit and gorgeous, <laughs> golfing, cooking for her family, boating, and spending time with her friends who are also some of my friends, and they're beautiful, amazing women. So Angie's key message for women is that it's more than okay to have a role outside of being someone's mother, that our children and spouse need to see the example of us creating a life outside of them that fosters growth within ourselves. We're here to gain as many experiences and journeys as possible And in order to do that, we have to dig deep and find what makes us who we were born to be. I couldn't agree more with that message. And it's a message that's resonated with me my whole life working. So I appreciate the way that those were your words. And I appreciate the way that you put those. Based on what we've just been having a conversation about, I think you have other messages to give women about strength and resilience and forgiveness of self. And so I'm excited to have you share that story because it is a big part of even the charity work that you do. Absolutely. Right? So, okay, Angie, just tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do that you're most proud of? What do you love about yourself right now? Oh, for sure. I'm most proud of my role as mom. Yeah. I'm pretty proud. I've got three amazing, remarkable kiddos. I mean, I'm a little biased, but they're they're my pride and joy. They're my reason for everything, as you know, as a mom. There, yes. there really is nothing better than watching your kids no, succeed and be happy. Uh, and your kids are grown. You've got a 20? 23-year-old son, okay. Carter. Okay. And he is a web developer. He's got his own career doing awesome things. My 21-year-old daughter will graduate nursing school in December. Congratulations her bachelor's. to her. Yes, she's also doing good things. And then I've just got one little, one little big guy Yeah, he's not home. little anymore. He's not little. He's 14, almost 15. We're on our way to being empty nesters. You know, we were just talking about how both of our kids, our boys are the same age and friends, how they hit that weird stage where they go from your baby to like, I'm hugging a man and it's... Man-child. It's super weird. So weird. And it's not fun because both your and my 14-year-old are babies and it's 
like you try and hug them and they just, they like stiff arm you. And you're like, no, 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 I need a hug. Still your mama. I'm your mom. (laughs) I know, it's so true. All right, so I want to get to a few things with you. We want to hear about the Opus Foundation that you started with your brother. Yes. And what that work is. And I think it's such a fascinating, fascinating issue. Fascinating is probably the wrong word, but it's an issue that I don't know that many people even know that exists. No, So I think it'll be a a really fascinating story to understand how you got to the point where you're able to start a foundation in Uganda and what you do there and the role that that plays in your life. And I want to hear all about the lessons that it's taught you and uh, your children, because I believe you took your son with you, right? I did. I took my oldest son with me a couple of years ago. So I want to talk all about that. But I want to start with your background because I think that what you've gone through in your life has probably been a big part of getting you to the point where you feel capable of doing what what you do today. So talk to us about your, your history. This is your second marriage. Correct. Right? Your two oldest children came from your previous marriage, and then your youngest is with your current husband, Tim. Mm -hmm. So tell us just about your background with your first marriage and and that situation. So I got married just out of high school. I was 19 years old. That's just what you did. I remember turning 19 thinking, wow, I'm getting a little too old. I hope someone's (laughs) going to pick me and marry me. Oh, Utah. Oh, dear Utah. (laughs) So tragic. It is. So, yeah, I'm, I married a, a cute boy that I went to high school with and 19 years old, and we started a family pretty quick. And I had Carter at, I believe, the age 22, and then two and a half years later, I had Avery. So I can't say that it wasn't a bad marriage. It wasn't a great marriage. It was just all I knew. Mm-hmm. I, I became... I think I lost myself pretty quick in becoming his wife and the kids' mom and really, really never even had the opportunity to figure out who Angie was. I went to high school, I met a boy, I got married, and there was no time in between to even think about who I was or what I wanted. I knew I wanted to be a mom, but I didn't, I didn't even know to think outside that. Yeah, I think that's such a, a common theme is you just follow the path. That's you just, just what you do. Follow whatever's in front mm-hmm. of you. And you sometimes we don't stop and think about alternatives. No, I was never even, it was never even a, a thought in my mind to think, what do you want to do mm-hmm. besides that? Now, you told me that a year ago or sometime in the last maybe three years, or maybe this, I think it was this year, you said you put a post on Instagram mm-hmm. and telling me what that I decided to finally, for lack of better words, out myself on Instagram about my story and my journey about how my my first marriage dissolved and why it dissolved. There had been um, a lot of speculation and talk and and stories that weren't necessarily true being spoke about me behind my back, and I just I just don't do that. So I just decided to address the issue head on and say it. I felt it was time to just tell everyone my story and how I got there and and then quit giving people something to talk about or at least talk to my face about. So in short, I told the world that 20 years ago, I had two children and I cheated on my husband. I had an affair and it was something that I held on to with so much shame and regret and 
embarrassment and you name it. It All of those things just piled on me for years and years and years. And I was really not able to let go of it until probably five years ago to really release and heal from it. And I think part of that healing actually just became something that I thought, okay, I just need to own this and speak about it and quit pretending it didn't happen and quit keeping that a secret and just telling my truth Mm -hmm. because that is my truth. It's not something I'm proud of. Right. But that's my truth and that's what happened and I made some serious mistakes. So 20 years later? 20 years later. I'm still living with that. Yeah. That's a long time. And you'd moved from a small town hour, hour and a half away from that mm-hmm. town and still... Still followed me. Still followed you. And I think me moving here was partly due to running yeah. from it. Running from the talk, running from from the story. That's... I, I identified myself as that person. And so... And so how much in the 20 years... And that's a long time to hold that pain. Mm-hmm. That is a long time to hold that pain. How much of that pain was self-inflicted? How much of that was embarrassment from uh, shame from other people, I guess? I would dare say most of it was self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. Definitely other people did play a role into it. Church members, mm-hmm. friends, family Family was very forgiving and accepting. Definitely hard on them. Definitely devastating in mm-hmm. in so many capacities that it, like the domino effect of what I did was very great. So it it took a lot of work to get where I was, but there still was there still were friends and mm-hmm. that hung on to that story. Hmm. But so much of it was just what you were doing to yourself. Yeah. So what was it that made you twenty years later say, "I'm just going to face it head on"? What what was that impetus? Why? Why 20 years um, later? There was only a, a few people in my life here that I decided to share my story with mm-hmm. in confidence mm-hmm. that I felt comfortable that it was a safe place. And that story got out. Mm-hmm. So, so that confidence wasn't kept. That confidence wasn't kept. And so I felt such betrayal. And I just didn't want to put, keep putting out fires. Mm-hmm. It It was like, why am I gonna? Why am I going to get mad at her or her for telling this story? If I'm just going to own it and say it and not give anyone anything to talk about anymore. I honestly like. I think it's interesting how much you are owning this story. I didn't know this story about you when when we set up this interview. Okay, you told me this five yeah. minutes ago. Yeah, but I think it's it's a huge part of what of who you are, huge. and it's so important to acknowledge everything that goes into a woman's story to get them where they are. I think that's important for everybody to see that Angie wasn't this perfect wife, this perfect mom that then got into this amazing charity work. Exactly. You've had struggles. What is it that's keeping you from deflecting blame? Because you and I have been talking for a half hour now and not once have you taken any part of your story and put blame on your ex-husband, where I'm sure there's more than just the part you're telling me, obviously, right? People don't go out and make the decision to cheat if things are perfect at home. But you haven't put any of that blame on him. So why are you choosing to really own it the way you are, which I think is admirable? Well, I mean, 
I was an adult. I'm, I might have been a young adult, but mm -hmm. I'm still responsible. I still know right from wrong. I still made the wrong choice. I still got caught up in something that felt actually bigger than me at the time. And no, I would never, ever put that on on my ex-husband ever. He, he was doing his best at the time. Mm -hmm. He gave all he could at the time. We were young. We didn't, we didn't have the capacity to know how to do better. You know, we just, we just did the best we could. And my best was actually led me down a, a road that dissolved our marriage. Yeah. Now, in those 20 years, your kids didn't know. So what was it that, how did they find out and what was the fallout when they found out? And why, well, why did you choose not to tell them, first of all? Embarrassment, shame, guilt. Mm -hmm. I technically was responsible for them not growing up with their father in their home. And that's a lot to carry. Mm -hmm. You have children and you want to give them every advantage in this world. And then when you split that, and divide that family, you've immediately given them a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And to own that and know that that's, you're responsible for that is really hard. And so I think, I think I just thought if I could make their life as good as I possibly could, they wouldn't resent me or be angry at me. Mm -hmm. And I was ultimately just ashamed to tell them in the younger years, they were obviously too young to know. Mm -hmm. And then the older they got, it was like, will that empower them? Will that, will that help them in any way for them to know? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see any advantage for them knowing other than it would just cause pain and hurt mm -hmm. and confusion. So I just thought, you know, it's, it's probably not their business to know what happened behind the scenes because I don't think I would want to know something like that about my parents. Mm -hmm. But but that um, story actually got taken away from me. I didn't have the opportunity to tell them. Their dad actually decided to tell them. And I, he had apparently told my son before my daughter, but my son had never even told me he knew. Hmm. Interesting. He's remarkable, and it didn't, it didn't matter to him. Mm -hmm. He... It didn't matter. He, at that point, had a, a, a picture of who you were yes. as his mom, and that's what he— He was old knew. enough to see the big picture and mm. their life now and how blessed and fortunate and opportunities that they have. I don't think—I don't even think it occurred to him to be angry with me. Hmm. And when my daughter found out, it was pretty devastating. She was really hurt, really confused, and— kind of didn't know how to navigate it. She was uh, late teens? I think she was probably 19, 18, 19 when she found out. So old enough to understand. But still a challenging time for a girl. Yes. You know, and then there's only one side mm -hmm. told as well. So I'm sure there was a lot of anger on her part towards me. Did she come to you immediately once her dad told her? <laughs> she came home. And this was the time she lived at home, and immediately I knew something was wrong. Right. <laughs> I could just, I could tell. And I poked and I prodded, and I was like, what is going on? And she finally just broke down and cried, and she said, Dad told me. Dad told me everything. At that time, it was, it caught me so off guard. 
It was late at night. And so I just said, okay, babe, I, I think we're going to talk about this in the morning because I had to process it and digest it because I didn't even know what to say at that point. Right. You had not planned that no. conversation. So I gave her a hug and told her I loved her and we went to bed and woke up the next morning and started going, diving into it. And how long did it take her to forgive you? And maybe that's an assumption that she has, or how long did it take her to come around to seeing you the way she had seen you for the last A day. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I think that speaks so highly to who you are as their mom. You obviously showed them for a long time that they were really loved and who you really were. Within hours, you know, I think we were good. And throughout the next weeks and days, we we talked and talked and broke it down and and it it made us closer and i'm just i'm actually really thankful for that gift that they they know now and i have i have nothing in this world that is a secret and that is so liberating it's mm-hmm. freedom i finally felt freedom in every capacity i'm happy for you and i'm so, <laughs> i'm so i'm so really really impressed that you're willing to share this story because even though your kids know, even though you put it on Instagram, you've never told me that story, mm-hmm. obviously. And so you still, every time you tell that story, are going to get the same shocked face. For sure. You're going to get the same questions. You're free and you're liberated, but it still takes a ton of bravery to just retell that story over and over. And now a whole new set of people are hearing it. So why did you tell me the story when you came in here? Why are you wanting this to be part of what we talk about today? Um... Well, I don't think, I know that, that that story is part of my journey to get, to get me where I am today, doing the work I'm doing mm-hmm. for the woman I am now, for the strength I have, the confidence I have. It all goes back to that and the lessons I've learned from the mistakes I've made. And to say that I have this perfect family with perfect kids and I I do this philanthropy without talking about the struggles is mm-hmm. not real. And I want to be as authentic and transparent as possible. And that's part of how I got to where I'm at. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk about, then let's move into what you're doing now. Okay. Because it's amazing. Let's do it. So, like I mentioned, you are the co-founder of the Opus Foundation. Before we get into the details of what that is, tell us how you, well, generally speaking, that's an organization in Uganda that supports children, and, and we'll get to more details. But Tell us how you got to the point, because I think a lot of people are going to be like, how in the crap do you start an organization in Uganda? Like you live in Highland, Utah. How do you get that far? So tell us where you started in your world of stepping, like you said, outside of the role of mom, feeling empowered enough to add to that role. I mean, it's not take away, but add to that role. What started that? I think it was about when I turned 40 and I, my kids, Carter had just graduated and I saw life without just being a full-time mom, I saw life outside of like, oh no, what am I, what am I going to do? My kids are not needing me. They don't care if yes. I'm home anymore. And who am I without that? Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, a rocky year of me going, wow, what am I going to do? Who am I? I am a mom and I am a wife, but who is Angie? I need to figure that out. I'm 40. I need to figure that out. So I started digging deep and trying to figure out who I was. I read a lot of books and I listened to a lot of podcasts and I I just worked and worked and worked to figure out 
what made me tick? Because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know. I felt a little lost. I have felt that. Mm-hmm. I had that same experience. It was when my first son graduated from high school. Yes. And I would burst into tears rather frequently. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because you're going, whoa, my life is being forced mm-hmm. to change. And I loved that role. And now that role is really shifting. And I felt so good at it. Mm-hmm. But then what, what's your purpose if, you, if, if you're not that anymore, right? <laughs> and I wanted a purpose. So I got into the work of volunteering for Operation Underground Railroad, which I'm sure so many people have heard about lately. As of late, I love all of the, the talk and awareness that's coming with, yeah. with Operation Underground Railroad. If, if you it's don't amazing. know, it's they rescue children, girls from the world of sex trafficking. And so I had a friend, she's actually the aftercare director for OUR. Jess is her name. She's remarkable. I met her through my brother. And I was I talked to her and I said, are there any opportunities that I can come and volunteer? So I fortunately kind of got in, in a good place and got to work right under her. Mm, wow. I dealt with donations and and humanitarian aid being sent, just a lot of back-end stuff, but then had some opportunities to travel with her and go see what it's like. So you saw some of the, I think they call them aftercare facilities. Aftercare facilities, yes. Wow. So it's where these these children and girls go after they've been pulled from wherever they're at. And they're traffickers. And this is their safe place, and this is where they go to rehabilitate. And so how how did that transition into what you're doing now? Well, after traveling with her, we met some partners. My brother and I, my brother had gone with me as well. And we met some partners over there that we saw a need and this gap that needed to be filled. And it was just, it was just a time that I felt like I wanted to do more outside of what my volunteer status would allow me. Mm-hmm. And so we made some um, great friendships over there and made partners with three or four causes there that we just decided that we were going to go step out on our own and and see how we could best support them. So tell us all about the Opus Foundation. What what does it do? Right now, we are doing work in Uganda, but we are not only going to be in Uganda. We want to step outside whatever and whoever a need comes up, we want to be there. So it doesn't matter what country, what state, we want to be there and support in any capacity we can, mm-hmm. depending on, and it's not just trafficking. It's not, it's not, well, we can talk about this, child sacrifice. We'll, yeah. we'll be there for any kind of devastating circumstance is kind of our role. We're small, but we believe that just a little bit goes a long ways. So you're providing financial support to various different organizations. Yes, correct. And right now where we can't travel, Mm-hmm. That's about the only thing we can do is support on this end, but we are missing going over, over there. So you've been a few times mm-hmm. to Uganda specifically. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell us about some of the experiences that you've had over there. Oh wow, Uganda is wonderful. By the way, mm-hmm. it's amazing, beautiful. The people there are the most joy-filled people I have ever ever encountered. It's like they have a godliness about them that you wouldn't even believe. They have light. 
they're just amazing. They're remarkable. And these people have virtually nothing. Right. Nothing. And they're the happiest people you've ever, ever come across. So I fell in love with Uganda right away. My first experience there was when I was volunteering for OUR, and we actually did some work on a school and a church. We spent some time in an aftercare center with girls that had been sex trafficked and labor trafficked. So I I got to visit with them, get to know them, get to know that side of the world. And we also spent time in an aftercare home where children that had been rescued from child sacrifice were living. Explain that term, because I I didn't understand it before you told me about it. What is that? So in Uganda, particularly, they still culturally, they go back to witchcraft. Hmm. That's That's still something that a lot of people there practice and believe in. Witchcraft meaning they take animals, chickens, goats, what have you, and sacrifice them in order to gain health, wealth, prosperity, blessings. But these people are so desperate because circumstances are so dire there Mm -hmm. that they believe if you sacrifice a child, then of course your blessings might be bigger, better. So... When I say sacrificed, I mean these children are kidnapped. They could be kidnapped from their home walking to go get their water down Mm -hmm. the street at the well. And they're kidnapped, mostly killed, but not often. Sometimes they're found. Usually they're found with body parts cut off, almost always genitally mutilated. They are brain blood. Horrific, unspeakable things are done to these children in, in hopes that they'll receive blessings. So a lot of people will hire these witch doctors in order to perform these ceremonies if they want to start a business or build a home. And it's actually an epidemic. It's not something that happens once in a while. It happens on the daily. And I believe you've interacted with children that are survivors of this practice, right? Yes. yes. My goodness. I've done a lot of work in Africa too. It's hard. It's hard to reconcile. So how do you reconcile living here in the beautiful place that we live with the opportunities that we have with what you see going on in, it happens all over the world, but where you've traveled to Uganda, how do you manage the emotions of that? Oh, at first, not very well. Hmm. The first time I went, I came back and... I had to go talk to someone. Mm-hmm. I had I had tra- post-traumatic stress. Like it, it affected me so deeply. And it was hard for me to reconcile coming home to my, my beautiful home and my beautiful kids and all the luxuries that I have knowing that people I now know and love are over there suffering. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you reconcile that? And I still try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. It's, that's it's still, not an easy answer. No, there's, I don't know what the answer is. My answer is, okay, now, once you know, you can't unknow. So now you, now you do better. Yeah. So now that I know, well, then I'm going to do better. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to help facilitate a better life for even if it's just one person. Mm-hmm. 
and that and that used to be hard for me as well. It's like, well, I'm I'm only helping one person, but it's so much bigger than that. If you help one person, you help that family, and that translates into helping the community, which translates. It's just this domino effect, and it, it's more than just one person. So you have to kind of get out of your own way and go, okay, if it's only one person, it's, it's that one person is just as valuable as a hundred people. Mm-hmm. Do you find a challenge? This is something that I experience a lot is it's very challenging to feel like you're even making a difference, even for one person, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have programs, you send money, you you do all of this work, but it's a little different than what we're used to where effort equals result. That We're right. very comfortable with that concept here in America in general, effort equals result. And we're born with that idea that if you work hard, you're going to get ahead. Or if someone gives you an opportunity and you take it, you're going to be okay. Like there's opportunity and it's it's not like that there, right? No, it's not like that there. Effort can equal nothing. Nothing. Literally. <laughs> Literally nothing. And even facilitating support to them is sometimes difficult too because you want it to look a certain way and it doesn't always come out that way. So mm-hmm. it's just doing the best you can and it's and we try and educate and we try... There's so many things we take for granted on how the right way to do something is. Right. Mm -hmm. That you would just assume everyone would know. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not always the case. So sometimes you have to start from ground zero and you go, okay, it's, it's more than just sending a check. Like we have to start from the ground up and teach you how to build Mm -hmm. where you're trying to go. And it's a challenge trying to, get out of your mindset that you're used to as an American, as a Utahan. I always kind of tell my kids, like, if you make a, a pyramid of privilege, Highland, Alpine, Utah is pretty much at the top at the of top, that period, right? mm-hmm. pyramid, right? There's mm-hmm. not a lot that we lack for here. It's very hard to get yourself out of that mindset and put yourself in the mindset of someone who has literally nothing and understand the way they're processing information, understand the perspective that they have, understand that there's bigger, I mean, day-to-day survival is the main challenge for for many of these people that you're trying to support and help. And we take for granted that that's taken care of in our lives. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is day-to-day survival. It's, Mm -hmm. they're not thinking about saving for retirement. (laughs) Right. It's it's just getting food on the table. Yeah. Now you took, in one of your trips, you took your son. So why did you do that? And what kind of impact do you feel like it had for him? You know, growing up, and I'm sure I told my kids this, and you probably have told your kids this, eat your dinner. There's starving kids in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't know how lucky you are. You don't know how privileged you are. And I was told that. And you think- but Conceptually, you, you know. You Conceptually, you know. But until you go there and you see it firsthand, as you know, you have no idea. You have no idea what a third world country is like and the, the, the devastation that they live with on a day-to-day basis. So I thought it's really important. I want all of my kids to experience that, to know how privileged we are and to know there's more out there than this mm-hmm. little bubble that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I took, I took him and I took him to the aftercare home where the children that were sacrificed lived. And he spent a couple of days loving on them. And it was, it, it was pretty profound. It was pretty big. 
And it's a lot to digest and it's a lot to process for a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. It was a lot for me at 40. Right. So I don't think he's real anxious to go back anytime soon. It was, <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. He, it was an awesome experience for him. But I just think it's important to give all of our kids that experience if we're able. So you just said he's not anxious to go back anytime soon. And I have the same situation. I have kids of my children. My daughter will go with me every time and wants to go every time. And so will my son. And then I have uh, my oldest son who really has no interest in going. I think it's interesting that everybody has kind of a different perspective of how to surf. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to, or I think it's an important lesson for us to recognize that our version of of giving our comfort level and giving our what what feels okay with for us is not right for everybody. Right. So you do a lot of service here in the local community too. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this family that you've been teaching. Oh, it's this cute, cute little Pakistani woman. She's got two kids, a husband. Yeah, uh, the opportunity just came to me from a, a woman in my neighborhood asked if I was interested. I think when you put yourself out there, like okay. I want to do service. Mm-hmm. Opportunities will start. If, if that's what you're looking for, opportunities will start coming your way. So yeah, I, this, this kind of came to me and I was absolutely. So up until Corona hit, I was going there every week mm. and spending time with her. But she's got a son with spina bifida. So he, oh, yeah. he's obviously auto compromised, immune compromised. So mm. we haven't been able to go for the last couple of months, but Really, really enjoy spending time with her. That's got to be a fulfilling yeah. activity. Yeah. What, what advice would you give to women who do want to get involved, whether that's it's on an international level or just locally here in our community? I think a lot of people, not just women, but a lot of people want to get involved and don't really know where to start. There are so many opportunities mm-hmm. around here. So, so, so many. So many causes we can get behind, big or little. I was just reading the other day, there's a cause here that someone's making backpacks for all the refugee, refugees to go back to school. So if you start looking, start Googling, how do, I, how do I serve in my area? There will be hundreds of opportunities come up. The Catholic, Catholic church up in the CSS up in Salt Lake always has opportunities hmm. that you can serve. Downtown, the homeless, the road home, always opportunities. A girlfriend and I just actually a couple of months ago did the census for the homeless. Oh. Which was really kind of cool. We went out a few nights and went and interviewed and and took a census of the homeless in Salt Lake. Like you just walk around we walk, 4th Street or correct. the parks or whatever. Yeah. Was that intimidating? I, I thought it would be. Yeah. But no. Really? No. I mean, you did. we did come across a, a couple interesting <laughs> people. But for the most part, it just made me more empathetic and compassionate for the homeless. Big picture, what role does serving play in your life? I would say it's kind of my answer to, let's say you're having a down day, a depressed day, a sad day, and you're kind of in your own way and you're feeling sorry for yourself. Every time I get outside of that and say, okay, I, that just, if I'm feeling that way, I need to go serve. I need to go do something. It turns it around. So I would say it's everything to me. Mm-hmm. It's just such a simple thing to get out of our own way and, and quit looking at our own problems. And just, even if it's just buying coffee for someone in Starbucks, mm-hmm. just those little things can turn your day around. 
Isn't and it turns their day around. It's so true. Just Isn't little. It doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It doesn't have to mean going to a third world country. Mm-hmm. Just do it in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And I will say, and I, I'm, I bet you'll agree with this because a lot of people want the opportunity to go to Africa because let's be honest, it seems really glamorous. <laughs> it's really a great Instagram picture. Right. And you have to be very, very careful that you're doing it for the right reasons because there's a lot of backlash against mm-hmm. doing that type of service. However, even though that international travel or the more dramatic levels of mm-hmm. service, they're a lot more visual. I think that you would you agree that the emotion and the satisfaction is equal, is the same, whether you're doing it? 100%. Yeah. 100%. For whatever reason, I am pulled to those people in mm-hmm. Africa. I mm-hmm. do have a deep, deep love for them, but that doesn't take away from any service that right here that we do. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It, it's, it's a very challenging place to be as far as Instagramming mm-hmm. your service. My brother and I have talked in length about where we lie with that. And we've decided that kind of want to lie low. Mm-hmm. We don't have an Instagram. We do have a website that you can mm-hmm. go and see. But other than that, I think it, there's a fine line where you you don't want to exploit the cause mm-hmm. that you're you're trying to fight for. So it's it's talking about it and raising awareness without exploiting the without survivors. Pictures of you mm-hmm. and cute kids, which are and if you're doing it for that, then you kind of need to dig a little deeper and see what your motives really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, a couple of final questions. You're transitioning your mom role. You'll, We'll always be moms, yes. but the role changes, right? You're you're very transitioned. You've got older mm-hmm. children that moved out of the house. You've still got one, we'll say baby with air quotes around. Yes. <laughs> He's not a baby. I, I can vouch for that. Your role is transitioning. What do you want your kids to learn from you from both your experiences in your marriage, in that whole story about holding on to that guilt and then finally letting it go, freeing yourself, and then where you've transitioned your life now to being one. This seems very, very focused on service. What do you want your kids to know? What do you want them to learn? First and foremost, I want them to know that it's okay to make mistakes and failures. It's all part of the journey Mm -hmm. that this society of perfectionism that we live in is all a facade. And Mm -hmm. And we are literally here to to make mistakes and grow and learn and be better for them. And I hope I've set that example and continue to set that example. And I'm the first one to own when I've made a mistake and how I'm mothering or if I'm not being a good wife or if I'm, it's just, I think ownership in everything you do. Ownership and even take pride in the good things you do. Mm. Especially for my daughter, find your own voice. Don't don't rely on a man or a husband to tell you who you should be. Mm-hmm. You figure it out and then find a partner that supports you and builds you and encourages you. And the same for my boys, that they that they'll be that kind of a man for for their partner. That's a beautiful lesson. Thank you. All right. So where do we find and more information about the Opus Foundation. And if people want to support, what kind of support does, are you looking for? What kind of support can be given and where? So you can go to opusfound.org. It tells a little bit about us. I haven't done a lot of fundraising 
That's still kind of something we're trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. That's a really tricky thing for me where we lie with that. So right now it's um, self-funded, but obviously we're not opposed to donations and help right. wherever we could get it. We're still brand new. We're still a baby foundation. We're pretty small. We want to stay that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, opusfound.org is where we're at. Okay. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Carrie. It's been a great time talking to you. Thank you. It was an honor. Thanks for joining us for another episode of She's Simply Amazing. If you are loving this podcast and getting so much out of it, please help us grow it. You can subscribe to the podcast and share each episode that you love. You can join our community on Instagram by following at Simply Amazing Podcast. And please, please, if you're loving this, go leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Those reviews really help us grow. We'll see you next week.